An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high ranking officer in the Secret Service. An assassin comes to town, a six part podcast. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Scott Sigler Slices is a fiction podcast with stories harvested from the mind of a number one New York Times bestselling author. The current season is Slay, a raunchy, monster-killing tale that's Breaking Bad meets Buffy meets John Wick. Find Scott Sigler Slices wherever you listen to podcasts. Realm Presents, a Dagaz Media Production. The Dark Tome, Book of Stories, featuring The Ding Ding by Judith Pancoast, performed by the author. What did you say, dear? You want two dollars for the ice cream man? Two dollars? Why, that's highway robbery! Back when I was a little girl, ice cream only cost five cents. Yes, five cents. That's a nickel. That's the shiny silver coin with George Washington on it that you see once in a while. George Washington was the first president of the United States, dear. Don't they teach you anything in that school of yours? Well, anyway, as I was saying, back when I was a little girl, we could get ice cream from the Ding Ding. That's what we called the ice cream truck, for only five cents. We called it the Ding Ding because it didn't have that fancy music that all the ice cream trucks play now. Oh no, no turkey in the straw for us. Our ice cream truck just had a bell. When we heard it go ding, ding, we'd all run out into the street, clutching our nickels in our dirty little hands. And that was one of the best parts of summer. It was anyway until I was 13 years old. Then something terrible happened. Patty Maddox loved to babysit because every time she did, she would earn money for more record albums. They cost $6 each at Grant's and she earned 75 cents an hour. So if she babysat on Friday and Saturday night, she could earn enough to pick up the latest hit album on Monday. This week, she was aiming for an album by that new guy, James Taylor. It was the end of June, the last day of the school year, and the Pisners had asked her to babysit at 6.30. She'd never babysat for the Pisners before, but she knew they must be all right because they were a Forbes family. Patty's best friend at school was David Branford. His dad was the chairman of the English department at Forbes College, the hoity-toity private school in town. David had invited her to the big Thanksgiving feast at his house the previous November. She didn't know most of the other teens who were there, so she'd ended up entertaining the younger children while the grown-ups did their thing. She had always been more comfortable with little kids than with her peers anyway. That had led to one Forbes family babysitting job after another, and soon she was buying lots of record albums. 
Now that it was summer, she would earn a pile of money and plan to get every album in the Billboard Top 20. The only problem with Forbes families was that they usually didn't have a TV, and if they did, it was only a small black and white one. Patty came to learn that highly educated people didn't watch much television. That was okay, though, because she loved to read, and they always had a ton of books. The Pisners were visiting professors at Forbes. That's what David had told her. They rented a house on a little side street across town. As Patty's mom pulled into the driveway, she saw the place for the first time and gasped. It was a big old Victorian with a run-down, vine-strangled porch. There were lots of half-dead trees in the yard. The lawn looked like it hadn't been mowed since Easter. The rickety picket fence slumped in some places. Patty thought the whole scene looked kind of spooky, like her town's version of the Bates Motel, and she almost told her mom to drive on back home. Then she thought of the money she would make and how much she wanted that album, and she put on a brave face. Patty said goodbye to her mom and waved as the car backed out of the driveway. She climbed the dangerous-looking porch steps carefully, avoiding the cracks in the planks. She'd get to even knock when Mrs. Pisner came to the door to greet her. The woman was skinny as a rail, her dark hair cut into a pixie, and her big brown eyes filled her face with a look of surprise. She reminded Patty of that model, Twiggy, except her complexion was gray, and she had dark circles under her eyes. You wouldn't see her on the cover of Glamour, that's for sure. She didn't have any makeup on, even though she and her husband were going out for the evening. And she wore a shapeless, plum-colored jumper over a black turtleneck, more of a winter outfit than something for a nice summer evening. Her only adornment was a clunky African necklace. Those Forbes women loved their exotic trinkets. Peeking out from behind her were a pair of kids, Peter, who was four, and Lisa, six. Patty remembered them from Thanksgiving. Those big brown eyes and tiny round faces were impossible to forget. The three of them took her on a tour of the house, which wasn't spooky at all on the inside. It was a lot like the other Forbes family houses. As Patty had guessed, there was no television downstairs, but when they went upstairs to the children's rooms, she glimpsed a small set in the master bedroom. You can watch TV in there later, but please wait until after the children are in bed. We don't allow them to watch television, said Mrs. Pisner. Mr. Pisner was coming through the front door as they came back down the stairs. He was very tall and had wiry gray hair and was dressed all in black. Patty thought he looked sort of like Frankenstein. How did these two get such cute kids? You ready? He said, looking at his wife. He didn't acknowledge Patty. We're only going out for dinner and a movie, so we'll be back by 11, Mrs. Pisner said, and drew her lips back from her teeth in a small smile. She grabbed her purse from the side table and took her husband's hand. We've already fed the children. They go to bed at 7.30 sharp, and please make sure they brush their teeth. Then the Pisners were out the door. They left without giving Patty any phone numbers to call if she needed to get in touch with them or telling her which restaurant or movie theater they had selected. She didn't even think of it until they had already backed out of the driveway. Oh, well, she thought. This is going to be an easy night. Kids in bed in an hour, and then I just have to stay awake until 11. 
Lisa and Peter were eager to play board games with Patty in the playroom. She cheated at Candyland, hiding all the go-back cards so the game wouldn't go on forever. Then she ushered the children upstairs, got them ready for bed, making sure they brushed their teeth, and went to each of their rooms to tuck them in. After she had finished reading them each a story, she went back downstairs to raid the cupboards. It was highly disappointing. No cookies, candy, or sweets of any kind. Raisins. That's all she found for a snack. And they weren't even the ones in the little boxes. It was just a gigantic bag of the things, bigger than any bag of raisins she had ever seen. Ugh, she said. What's the matter? came a tiny voice from behind her. You don't like raisins? Patty jumped and whirled around. There stood Peter, looking up at her with those giant eyes, his hair tousled. He looked like one of those paintings of the big-eyed sad kids that her mother got for free when she spent $20 at the shop and save. It's pronounced raisins, not raisings, Patty corrected. And what are you doing down here anyway? You're supposed to be in bed. I can't get to sleep. Can't get to sleep? You haven't even been in bed for five minutes. Come on, I'll take you back up. Just as she had finished reading a second story to Peter and was reaching to turn off the light, she heard a squeaky, Patty, coming from the next room. She sighed and went down the hall to see what was going on. Lisa was sitting up in her bed, those huge eyes locking onto Patty as soon as she came through the door. I want another story too, said the little girl. Oh, come on, this is going to go on all night. Please, you read another story to Peter? Patty plopped down on the bed, defeated. Okay then, one more, but that's it. Then both of you have to stay put and go to sleep or I'm going to get in trouble. Your parents won't ever let me babysit you again. You wouldn't want that, would you? They'd have to get Mrs. Quagmire to babysit you and she's the most awful babysitter in town. Mrs. Quagmire? No, Mrs. Quagmire, like a swamp. And that's what her breath smells like, a stinky old swamp. Believe me, you don't want her to babysit you. She's ugly, with big, sharp teeth and a hairy mole right on the tip of her nose. I've heard that when she babysits, she eats the kids as snacks if the family doesn't have any cookies in the pantry. Lisa pulled the covers up over her head. All right. Listen up, and I'll read to you. But remember what I said. You and your brother have to go to sleep, or you know what will happen. Okay, Lisa whispered. We'll be good. We don't want to meet Mrs. Quackmire. It's Quag... Oh, never mind. Now listen. Once upon a time... Tell more, Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My gran says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready, for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing. A story glass production presented by Realm. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Honorary 
remote island in frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. When the story was finished, Patty went back downstairs and out to the precarious front porch. The hazy light of the hot summer day was slowly dimming, and the evening was muggy. Everything was still, save for the bees buzzing in the wildly overgrown rhododendron bush. She'd heard that her crush, Tom Hennessy, lived somewhere around here, and she was hoping she'd see him ride his bike or walk by the house. Then she could casually wave or say hi, and he'd come over intrigued by this mysterious girl from school. They would easily fall into a conversation. Without all the cute girls distracting him, she'd have a chance to impress him with her charm and wit. He would smile adorably at her, a twinkle in his blue eyes. A shy summer romance would begin, and when school started again in the fall, they'd be the new couple. She went on daydreaming until dusk settled and the outside of the house became even spookier than before. Tom never showed up, so she admitted defeat for the second time that evening and went back inside. She absentmindedly went to the pantry, grabbed a handful of clumpy, hard raisins, then went into the living room to peruse the books. There were about eight million of them, and every single one looked boring. Finally, she picked up a magazine called The New Yorker and sat down to read. This magazine was in a lot of the Forbes family's homes, and Patty liked it. She'd never been to New York, and her chances of ever getting there were pretty slim. But she found the listings and reviews interesting. Broadway shows, nightclubs, stuff like that. She flipped through the pages, stopping occasionally to read an article as the dusty grandfather clock in the corner ticked away loudly. When she reached the back section, an ad that she'd never seen before caught her eye. It was a picture of an empty restaurant. The tables and chairs were black, and the walls were red. The Den. We cater to every taste. Visit us for all your after-midnight desires. Someone had circled it with red magic marker. It gave her the creeps. Around 10 o'clock, she was getting sleepy. So in an effort to stay awake, she decided to go for a walk around the house. There was a door down the back hall that had been closed when Mrs. Pisner had shown her around, but now she noticed a sliver of light at the bottom that she hadn't seen in the daylight. Was someone actually in there? She hesitated at the thought, then tried the doorknob. One quick twist and it opened right up. What she saw stopped her in her tracks. The whole room was bathed in a weird crimson from a red light bulb in the ceiling fixture. There was a big desk with some papers and notebooks on it, and a stuffed, comfy-looking chair by a fireplace. Just a normal study, except for that eerie red light. Who would put a red light inside their house? Then her gaze was drawn to something on the mantel, and she padded across the room to check it out. As soon as she did, she wished she hadn't. Miniature devil and demon figures cavorted on the shelf, sporting evil, smiling faces and pointy tails. Their minuscule teeth appeared sharp and bloody in the scarlet light. 
Some of them were carrying tiny swords and hatchets. A selection of creepy African masks hung on the wall above them. Even though Patty loved scary movies and stories and had read the entire collection of Alfred Hitchcock paperbacks, the whole scene really freaked her out. She took a few steps back and noticed a bookcase near the fireplace that was jammed full of worn volumes, some with titles she couldn't even pronounce. The Grand Grim... Grim... Oh, wire? She whispered. She felt a little jolt when she saw the title of the next book, The Satanic Bible. A loud bump right above her head startled her. She bolted from the room, slamming the door shut behind her as a loud wail came from upstairs. She ran back through the kitchen and up the staircase, taking the steps two at a time, and followed the cry down to Peter's room, where she found him lying on the floor in a tangle of covers. He was screaming at the top of his lungs, snot and tears streaming down his cheeks. Patty hurried over to him and knelt by his side. It's okay, it's okay, she said. You just fell out of bed. She untangled the covers and helped him up, whispering soothing words as she gently wiped his face with a tissue from the nightstand and tucked him in. Patty, is Mrs. Quackmire coming? How do you know about Mrs. Quagmire? I heard you telling Lisa about her, and I dreamed that she was coming to get me. His little face, those gigantic, tear-filled eyes. Patty felt like a jerk. When he tells his parents about this, they're never going to hire me again. She patted his head and said, That was just a silly story I told Lisa to get her to settle down. Mrs. Quagmire isn't real. I just made her up. No, she's real, Patty. I saw her. She has octopus tentacles instead of legs, he said, his voice fading. His eyelids began to flutter, and to her relief, he nodded off to sleep again with no further fuss. Patty had no plans for going back downstairs, especially considering that bizarre room with the red light and those scary little statues, so she decided to watch TV for a while. It couldn't be that much longer before the Pisners came home. Mrs. Pisner had said it was okay to watch TV in the bedroom, but she still felt strange about it. She looked around, expecting to see more weird stuff. It wasn't a fancy bedroom, but at least it was normal. The furniture was mismatched and the floral bedspread was shabby. It smelled a little like wet dog, but the Pisners didn't have a dog, as far as Patty knew. The portable TV was on a stand at the foot of the bed. She turned it on, then shut off the overhead light so she could see the picture better. The hall nightlight spilled warmth into the room. Reluctant to sit on the bed, Patty settled herself on the floor to watch the last part of the Thursday night movie, an old black and white film called The Innocents. She'd seen it before and liked it because it was about ghosts, but she didn't think she could handle being spooked again so soon. She hoped the prisoners would come home early. She no longer cared about the money. She no longer cared about James Taylor. She just wanted to get back to her regular house and her normal cozy bedroom. Then she realized she'd have to ride home with Mr. Pisner, and she didn't really want to be in a car with a guy who read the Satanic Bible for fun. She was considering whether or not to call her mother to come pick her up when suddenly it hit her. Had she remembered to lock the door when she'd come in from the porch? She didn't want to go downstairs and check, but she had to. 
or she wouldn't be able to relax at all. She turned on the hall light, hoping it wouldn't wake the kids. At the top of the stairs, there were two switches. She flicked them both, turning on the stairway light and a light over the front door at the bottom of the stairs. She tiptoed slowly down the steps, imagining those devil statues coming to life. They were climbing down from the mantel, standing on top of one another to open the door. She just knew that when she got to the bottom of the steps, she'd turn around and see them there, all lined up in the hallway, ready to get her. When she got to the third step from the bottom, she scanned the hallway very slowly. She had to look. There was nothing in the hall, but as she peered back toward the kitchen, holy crap, was something moving back there? She froze. She narrowed her eyes. There was definitely something there. Then she heard a faint skittering noise and the shape moved out of the dark kitchen into the light of the hall. It was one of those awful statues, a little demon thing that looked just like Pazuzu from The Exorcist. It sort of skip-hopped slowly down the hallway as though it were a character in a stop-motion animation. Patty squeezed her eyes shut and automatically said a prayer she'd learned back in Catholic elementary school. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, pray for us. When she opened her eyes, the thing was gone. You moron, of course there's nothing there. You're letting your imagination get out of control. She breathed a sigh of relief and stepped quietly to the front door. Nothing is going to happen, she said out loud. It's probably locked anyway, and it was. She flew back upstairs to see that the 11 o'clock news was on with a story about a girl from the next town over who had gone missing. She didn't know her, but it gave her an uneasy feeling. She really didn't want to be in this house anymore. The prisoners should be coming home any minute now. But the minutes on her brand new Partridge Family wristwatch ticked by slowly. No prisoners. 11.30 rolled around and they still weren't home. But Patty was delighted to see that the late show was an oldie but goodie. I was a teenage werewolf. She loved that movie. She'd seen it before on the Saturday afternoon creature feature on Channel 38. It was more camp than scary, so she figured she could watch it without getting too freaked out. Besides, the star of it was really cute. She liked him on Bonanza, too. Since the prisoners were late, she decided she might as well get comfy on top of the bed. She grabbed one of the decorative pillows, laid down so her head was on the end of the bed, and stuffed the pillow under her chin as she pushed off her sneakers with her toes and let them drop down to the floor. The yellow glow from the nightlight made interesting shadows on the old-fashioned wallpaper, and a warm breeze blew through the wispy white curtains. Within minutes, her eyelids began to feel heavy. Maybe she would close them for just a few seconds. It was Sunday morning. She was going to church with her mother. She was wearing her Sunday best and carrying a little white clutch purse containing her missile. The church bell was ringing louder than ever as she held her mother's hand, walking through the parking lot and up to the big wooden doors, now at least 20 feet tall. Patty's white patent leather shoes clicked on the asphalt. Father Grondon waited to greet them, holding the satanic Bible 
dark stains on his white vestments. A sign over the door said, Welcome to the Den, in big red letters. Patty's heart began to pound so hard she felt as though it were going to crash out of her chest. As they climbed the stairs, she glimpsed through the open door and saw that the entire church was bathed in a red haze and all the pews were filled with devils and demons. Their tails waved lazily around like the tail of her cat, Dinah. Patty struggled to release herself from her mother's grip, but her mother held fast, laughing. Her teeth were filed into sharp points. Ding, ding, went the church bell as shiny black tentacles slithered down the aisle from under Father Grondon's vestments. Patty awoke, slick with perspiration and breathing rapidly. The bell from her dream had morphed into a real bell ringing, but she couldn't tell where it was coming from. Outside, maybe? The TV was showing a test pattern. The only sound coming from it was what her dad called static. She looked at the -the glow-in-the-dark face of David Cassidy on her watch and saw that it was 2 a.m. Two o'clock in the morning? Where the heck are the prisoners? And who's ringing a bell in the middle of the night? It sounded like the ice cream truck, but it couldn't be. Patty got up, switched off the television, and tiptoed over to the window. She was glad she had been watching TV in the dark. She didn't want whoever was out there to see her. Slowly, she pushed the curtain back and peered outside. Down in the street, parked right outside the prisoner's front door, was, of all things, an ice cream truck. It appeared to be the same old ice cream truck that drove all over town every summer day, ringing its bell and inviting kids and grown-ups, too, to come outside and get a sweet, cool treat. What in the world was the ding-ding doing parked in the street in the middle of the night and ringing its bell? Is there some kind of all-night festival going on in the neighborhood or something? She'd read about such festivals in The New Yorker earlier but she'd never heard of anything like that happening in her small town. Maybe a special event put on by Forbes College to celebrate the beginning of summer? She looked up and down the street as far as she could and didn't spot anything else out of the ordinary. In fact, there was not one light on in any of the houses. They must hear the ding-ding too, she thought. Somebody will come out to investigate. The bell rang again its familiar two-note refrain coming through the open window clear as, well, a bell. Still, nothing stirred in the neighborhood. The moon shone down on the ice cream truck, making scrawling shadows across the roof. Patty could see the decals of ice pops, push-ups, and fudge bars pasted on the side. She squinted and strained to see if she could tell who was sitting in the truck, but she couldn't make out a thing behind the windows. This was beyond weird. The ding-ding, rang out a tiny voice from behind her. It's the ding-ding. It's the ding-ding, isn't it, Patty? Lisa asked. I want a fudge bar, said Peter. Patty was flabbergasted. These kids didn't seem to think anything was wrong with an ice cream truck being parked outside their house in the middle of the night. Maybe it was a regular thing around here. Everything else about this night was freaky, so why not this? She looked at the kids. Has this happened before? I mean, has the ding-ding come here at night before? Sure, said Lisa. 
We get treats from the Ding Ding all the time. She looked over at her brother. He nodded emphatically. Mommy even keeps the special jar of nickels downstairs on the coffee table just for getting ice cream, Peter said. Patty shook her head slowly. She wasn't sure whether or not these kids were putting her on. Come on, Patty, come with us. You can have one of our nickels, offered Lisa. Then she and Peter turned around and ran out of the room down the hall. Patty could hear them clattering on the stairs before she could even grab her sneakers. Hey, you guys, wait, wait for me, she said. She grabbed her shoes and sprinted down the hall. They wouldn't go outside without her. There was no way they would. Come and get your nickel, Patty, she heard Peter say. There came a jingling as if coins were being pushed around in a jar. As she reached the top of the stairs, she saw the children's faces lit by the nightlight in the downstairs hall and realized that they hadn't turned on any lights. What kind of kid goes anywhere at night without turning on the lights? They pulled open the front door and bounded out into the dark. Wait, she yelled again. Wait, don't go without me. She hurried down the stairs and looked through the screen door. The children were running without hesitation to the ice cream truck window. Patty still couldn't quite make out the person standing in the truck. All she could see were two eyes gleaming in the dark and a smile that looked like the Cheshire Cats. She put a hand on the screen door. What was she doing? She didn't want to go out there. This was ridiculous. She'd never heard of anything like it in her life, not even on Night Gallery or the Twilight Zone. If she didn't know better, she'd swear she was still dreaming. But one thing she knew for sure, she couldn't leave the kids out there alone. So she slipped her sneakers on and pushed the screen door open. She saw to her horror that the ice cream truck man had opened the door, taken each of the children by the hand, and was now guiding them up the steps. It looked as if they were going willingly. Lisa! Peter! She screamed, but they ignored her. Just as the kids disappeared into the darkness of the truck, the ice cream man looked up and out of the shadows with those shining eyes straight at Patty. She could have sworn they were purple. Yes, purple slits with a yellow light shining behind them, not even eyeballs at all. She still couldn't make out his features, but his Cheshire cat smile began to vibrate, and then his mouth slowly opened wide, and he screamed, Ding! Ding! It was the sound of a twanged saw blade. It reverberated up and down the street, bouncing off the houses and echoing back. The hair on the back of Patty's neck stood up. She'd read about this happening to characters in books, and now she knew exactly how it felt. Frozen in place, she was so scared she just about peed her pants. The ice cream thing, Patty couldn't really call it a man now, backed into the shadows of the truck and the door swung closed. Patty lurched out of her stupor, but before she could make it down the porch steps, the truck pulled out of the driveway and turned up the street. Hey! She shrieked. Hey! She jumped down the last two steps and started running. The truck was just turning the corner. Patty ran with all her might, but by the time she hit the intersection, it was gone. She heard the very faint ding, ding of the bell riding on the night breeze. Help! She yelled in the darkened street. Somebody 
help! Two kids have been kidnapped! No lights came on, no doors opened. Surrounded only by shadows, Patty suddenly realized how alone she was. She felt like the only living person in a black and white movie world. The full moon was bright, but the moonlight made everything seem fake, like a set. She turned and ran back to the house. It seemed to be a mile away, when just minutes ago it had taken her mere seconds to run to the end of the street. Every branch was reaching out for her. Every flicker in the sky was a vampire bat. She slammed through the screen door and ran to the phone, then came to a halt. She had no idea how to reach the prisoners. They hadn't left her a number. Where the heck were they anyway? She dialed zero for the operator, and as soon as the woman came on the line, she screamed into the phone that it was an emergency. The operator connected her to the police and she told them the story. She even remembered the prisoner's address, which was kind of a miracle considering how upset she was. Oh no, dear. The police never found Lisa and Peter. They asked all the neighbors, and the neighbors said they'd never heard of an ice cream truck coming to the neighborhood in the middle of the night. The ice cream company said all of their trucks were accounted for in their locked parking lot. Everybody looked at me like I was nuts, but I knew what I'd seen. I was asked over and over again how I could let two little children out into the street in the middle of the night. And no matter how much I explained that they were too fast for me, never got another babysitting job. My parents grounded me for a month because they suspected I had been smoking pot. And you know what? The prisoners never came home either. Nope, no one heard anything from them at all. They just disappeared, woof, as if they were never there. Well, here's your two dollars. Go get something delicious. What's that, you say? You've decided you don't want anything? Well, that's okay. Grandma will just put that two dollars back for some other time. You go run along and play now, and I'm just going to take a little nap. Huh? No, no, dear. The ice cream truck won't come back tonight. That was only the ding-ding, and those never come around anymore. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I study the secrets of the divine plagues and uncover the blasphemous truth that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, wherever podcasts are available. been listening to the dark tome book of stories produced by dagaz media and presented by realm your portal to another world full cast and crew credits and transcripts at thedarktome.com